So here we go. Welcome to the second episode of your Manchester United fix with myself, Ben Ibsen, and my co-host, Brad Cox. Well, let's get straight into it. I don't think yesterday's game needs any introduction. If you don't know what happened, then where have you been? I mean, where to start? Varane being announced before kickoff, a Bruno hat-trick, Pogba four assists, Sancho debut, or just beating rivals Leeds United 5-1 on the opening day of the season. Brad, take it away. I mean, Ben, I mean, you've summarised it really. It was one of those perfect days for uh, Manchester United fans, for everyone involved at the club um, to, to start the Premier League season with a 5-1 victory over these rivals that have been, you know, getting quietly confident over the past two weeks that they were going to pull off a, pull off a victory at Old Trafford. Um, and and it, it wasn't a lead side that was particularly missing players like Manchester United were. Uh, and I think that's why many believed that Leeds were going to end up coming away with a point, but that wasn't to be. Uh, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got it spot on in terms of his team selection. Uh, many were calling for Jadon Sancho to start. Uh, obviously, that did not happen. Um, and, and it turns out they didn't really need him either. I mean, the, the goals in itself were just superb. Um, Bruno Fernandes, you know, like you mentioned there, hat-trick on the opening day. But for me, it was all about Paul Pogba. Four assists, I mean, on your on the first game uh, of the season to, to beat your tally of assists from last season in 58 minutes or whatever it was. It's just ridiculous. But for me, yeah, Bruno will steal the headlines, and rightly so. But Paul Pogba was the key to it all for me. If I'm right in thinking, the, Bruno is the first player to have scored a hat-trick on the opening game of the season since Lou Macari did it. I can't remember the year. Stuart's home in the stat. But that is absolutely fantastic to have someone to do that on the first game of the season. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that United were missing players and they can still do that without Marcus, without Edinson. And to do that 5-1 on the opening game of the season, let's not get carried away, by the way, because we will play teams that are a lot more defensively set up than Leeds are and a lot more tough to beat. What a start to the season. Yeah, it was excellent. And, you know, it's also fitting that it was against Leeds United because, in a way, Bruno Fernandes has had the same impact on this Manchester United team that Eric Cantona had uh, on his Manchester United team back in the 90s. Um, so, you know, it's fitting in that way. But, yeah, an excellent way to get started off to the season for Manchester United uh, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So they're, they're top of the league. And there's been talks of Bruno signing a new contract. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, well, you know, Fabrizio Romano has said on Twitter that the the club are in in talks with Fernandez over a new contract, and rightly so. He's one of the few few players, I believe, that deserve a new contract at this uh, at this at Manchester United at the minute. Um, you know, we all know the situation regarding Paul Pogba um, and his contract. You know, getting into his last uh, last year and not signing a new one is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, he could go on a free for a second time next summer, and they, they, you know, the United's board will not want that to happen to Bruno Fernandes, and it, it won't happen. They will seal the deal with uh, with the contract, uh, and I, I'd expect it to be quite a big pay rise, not just to keep him there, but to show him he's worth what they are paying. You know, because in the past few years, especially five, five, six years. Um, Manchester United have been known for handing out these ginormous contracts and that's why they've been struggling so much to get rid of the players um, that, 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 that they arguably need to to move on. Uh, like like the likes of Andreas Pereira and jo- uh, Phil Jones, etc. Um, but yeah, Bruno, I think his, his contract will be, will be up and coming with a new one. 
Uh, it's just a matter of time, really, when it gets done. They're in no rush. I mean, he's still got a couple of years left on it, but they'd like to get it get it done sooner rather than later. Well, that's one thing I like about this situation so much is that sometimes these big money contracts get offered to keep a player at the club. But in Bruno's situation, he looks like he's enjoying himself so much at Manchester United that he's not. he doesn't want to go anywhere else or he's not going to be attracted by a big offer to go elsewhere because he's absolutely loving his football. And that's one of the best things, the sort of picture with Paul and Bruno in the changing rooms and Bruno's like this, injects it into his veins and Paul's loving it. And that's what you want. He he's, looks like a type of player that his energy rubs off on other players rather than sitting there quiet in the dressing room, yeah, performs on the pitch and that's it. You don't hear from him afterwards. He sounds like he's just constant energy. is ongoing and ongoing. It's rubbing off on the likes of Paul Pogba who moved on to his performance. We've seen him do that. We've seen him do that for France. We've seen him do it at Juventus and he's, showing glimpses of doing it for Manchester United. And you sometimes think, well, is he going to get into the rhythm of doing it week in, week out? Where's he going to fit to the squad? All this, all this. But yesterday, to get four assists. And it's not like they were just tappings or sort of just a little pass and the player went on and did all the work on the run. These are unbelievable passes. The one for Greenwood's goal was a great pass. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was, you know, you kind of said everything there that needed to be said about Paul Pogba. He's done it before, he's done it for Manchester United, he's done it for France, uh, but it's now now not just about doing it, it's about doing it consistently. Um, that That's what Paul Pogba needs to do in, in a Manchester United shirt. Uh, and he, I, I wrote about it a lot last season, before his injury, uh, at the Burnley game, the Fulham, Fulham game, he was pulling off these performances consistently, and he was single-handedly, along you know, with a little bit of help from Bruno, uh, he was carrying Manchester United to a bit of a title race last last season. Uh, but uh, you'll you'll notice as soon as he he suffered that injury last year, the form completely dipped. Um, but so that that's one thing is keeping Paul Pogba fit this season, but also keeping him happy. And like you said, him and Bruno in the changing rooms, they could not look happier, could they really? Absolutely not. And I'm right in thinking that no other Manchester United player has got four assists in one Premier League match. Yeah, I think that that, correct? that's correct. Yeah, that is correct. You know, four assists in one Premier League match um, is, a, is a remarkable, remarkable stat, really. Because, um, you know, everyone focuses on goals too much, but it's equally as much about creating them. Uh, and that kind of leads me to, I think, our next discussion about Victor Lindelof's assist because that was superb. I mean, that is one of those balls. You know, we, we, we've seen this from Lindelof before as well with those balls from the back over the top for either Marcus Rashford last year. It happened quite a few times. I, believe, I think it was Sheffield United away last season was one of those fantastic balls over the top for Rashford to uh, to put behind into the, into the back of the net. But it happened again. Um, and I, I, I think that was for Bruno's third. I think uh, I think it might have been for Bruno's third. Um, but the uh, superb ball from from uh, Victor Lindelof, and you know, his replacement has already signed. Uh, but is it is it going to be an Alex Tellers effect? Is it going to mean that um, Victor Lindelof starts pulling off some unbelievable performances? And Rafael Varane can't make it into the squad. I mean, what a story that would be. I mean, I think I think it's quite far from happening that. Um, but if it is to be Varane starting over Lindelof, then United have got themselves a solid backup uh, in Victor Lindelof in case Varane was to pick up a, an injury, or heaven forbid, for Manchester United's sake, Harry Maguire was to to pick up a little a little. Well, that's it, and that's what excites me the most about these kind of signings. When you sign a top-class player. It almost takes the whole squad to that next level because it means they have to fight for their positions. 
And it's not being complacent playing football week in, week out, where they're put 100% in anyway. But they've got to go above and beyond to prove that they deserve this position. And like say with the Tellers, Luke Shaw has come on leaps and bounds. It's the same with Lingard. Lingard went out to West Ham. He had to show what he has to get into this Manchester United team. He did exactly that. And when you do that, and then he said, if you pick up injuries or things happen during the seasons, you have these players that come through and they're no longer what they were like a season or two ago. They've stepped up their game. I mean, imagine in training, training is ridiculous nowadays with all these players trying to outdo each other. And it just sets the bar so high for the season, every player in the squad. And that's what excites me the most about this team. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's the it's the it's the training that's gonna be giving Oli Gunnar Solskjaer a little bit of a headache for his team selection. I mean, if he is to continue with this three up top, which is most likely, you know, he's got plenty of options to choose from. You know, you know, he's got so many players in there. He's got Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood, Cavani, and Alanga's now on the scene. Martial's back from injury. There's only three spots up for grabs. Well, Pogba played on the left wing, so maybe that's one of the keys to this next. To this next four, uh, next uh, phase of play in Manchester United season is keeping Paul Pogba on the left because McFred doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Well, I know that you are very impressed with these two midfield yesterday, and I know we've got a lot of questions being asked about defensive midfielders or the formations that we should play and things like that, which we can get to in due course. But let's talk about Fred and McTominay because personally, I thought McTominay was absolutely outstanding yesterday. The way he plays his football, he's he wears his heart on his sleeve. And everything he does is a hundred percent to push to push United for the win. It's incredible. I think I think it also with with McTominay as well. You know what you're getting in him. You know he's going to do the the job each week. Um, I think I think you know he's going to break up play. You know he's going to get stuck in. You know he's not he's not soft any by any means. Uh, he's definitely one of those tough midfielders that you don't really want to be coming into a fifty fifty challenge with. You know, um, it happened quite a few times with Leeds' midfield. You know, Scott was getting properly stuck in on Saturday. Um, and, you know, the the McFred double pivot has been talked about so, so much, especially over the past five to six months about talking about, you know, getting rid of that pivot and only sticking with one of them. But the thing is, they complement each other's game so well. When one of them goes diving in, the other one drops back and, and, and covers them. But what I found impressive and a slightly different, a slight, slight tweak to the system on Saturday was McTominay was getting a lot further forward uh, than last season. You know, he had that almost like he had the license to go forward from Solskjaer. Um, but the thing is with McTominay and Fred is it gives that sort of comfort for Fernandez to go bombing forward in a way. And I think it almost ends up playing like on Saturday. It almost ended up being with Fernandez uh, and Greenwood almost playing as two strikers, and Fernandez joining up to them and making a four across the front rather than just um, um, Fernandez sitting in front of the two holding midfielders. It was almost like it was McTominay and Fred in the middle, and then he had Pogba on the left and James on the right, Greenwood on the right side of the strike force, and then Fernandez on the left, and he was having that free roam, and that caused so many issues for Leeds to Leeds at the back. They didn't know whether Fernandez was going to come in behind them, drop into the pocket in front of their front line of defence. They had no clue what to do with Bruno Fernandez, but that comes from Scott and Fred being there to give Fernandez that comfort and licence to bomb forward. Exactly. And Bruno's a player as well that if he sees a pass, he's not going to second guess it. He's going to play that pass straight away. And yeah, he loses the ball a lot. 
But like you said, you've got them two behind who win the ball back, give it back to his feet. And he's a player on the pitch that's going to ping them passes. He's going to pick the players out in the little pockets in between the lines. And that's what you need in your team. But it's interesting that you touched on McTominay playing in a, a bit more of a higher position because I remember I saw him play for the under-23s probably touching two years ago now. And he scored a hat-trick. And I've never seen him. You know, every time you see him in the first team, he plays that sort of defensive role. He's there because he's big. He'll put the challenges in. He'll win the ball back. He's not afraid of anything. So a totally different player. He was running around everyone. He was sticking the ball in the back of the net. I was on, I was so shocked. And that's when I sort of realised that this guy can play. You have people you play in different positions. Like You have full-backs that can turn into centre midfielders. This guy's a centre midfielder who can play with the ball at his feet. And like you said, with Fred next to him, Fred's someone who recycles the ball. He'll win it back. He might not be the best with his feet. Sometimes he'll kick it out of play. And I was watching the game with Danny Webb yesterday. Danny, if you're listening, I know that you're a big fan of Fred. And uh, sometimes he does lose the ball. Sometimes he'll kick it out of play. But he will run and run and run to get it back. And that's, that's like you said, they complement each other so well in that aspect. Yeah, and also I just want to touch on what you said there. You know, Fred's distribution, I actually thought it was... Uh, much improved on Saturday. You know, he was picking up the ball in front of that back four and pinging it out wide instantly. Uh, and that, that's what that's what United have been missing in the past couple of years is, is a player to be able to pick a pass out, clean it up. I like to call it the Michael Carrick role uh, because it, it, go, it goes missing, that role. Lots of people don't notice there's a player doing that, collecting the ball, cleaning up the scraps and firing it out to the whip for someone to start the counter-attack. And against the lead side that kept bombing forward, bombing forward, uh, that, that seemed to work perfectly. Um, and, and you know just touching on this this style of play I, I, it's something that, that Manchester United fans have not seen in the past 10 years you know in the post Sir Alex Ferguson era uh, I'm just reading it here the victory over Leeds was the 10th time they'd scored five goals or more under Solskjaer uh, and they only managed to do that twice under the reigns of David Moyes Van Hall and Jose Mourinho combined so you know it's quite quite a statistic there for you you know it's a def definitely change in shape and a change of mentality which I think is key not just settling for a one or two goal lead going for more and I think the the, the best the best example of that last season was obviously the 9-0 the against Southampton at home you know you notice Scott McTominay screaming at the end to go and get that ninth. you know and when, when the 8th went in in the 90th minute or something uh, and uh, you know just to get that 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 ninth goal in the in added time is just something that's built into you uh, it's not necessarily a game plan. That's just come from Solskjaer's mindset towards the, towards the team. Yeah, I definitely agree as well. And I think we've got to give credit to Leeds, to be fair, because Aylin's goal was fantastic. But I also think that Manchester United excel when they're playing teams that come out of their shape and they come and attack you. And even at 4-1 down, Leeds were still doing that. And that's why there were so many chances towards the end of the game where gaps opened up and players were across the pitch. And when there were so many chances to score more goals, but that's because Leeds were giving us that space. I think I saw it last season a lot of the time when you play teams that sit back and they know what they're doing. They're sitting back and they're waiting to counter you and do that. And, but, and that's where United sort of struggle. Maybe not so much this season with the attacking players that we've now got, but that's where you sort of struggle. The ball goes from side to side and side to side. Whereas yesterday, it was end-to-end -end because Leeds United just aren't a team that are going to sit back. They're going to run, run and run, which leaves gaps. And we exploited them gaps yesterday and took chances. 
And I think I think it's important that you brought up Luke Ayling's goal there, um, because because I I don't think that should have been able to happen from a United defensive uh, point of view. Um, the the he had far too much time. I mean, he had time to not only shout at Dallas to receive the ball, but to then take a touch, get his head up, look at that top left corner, zoom in on it, target it in, lock it in. And just let rip from distance. You know, there was, I think... You know, I missed the goal as well. Did you? How did you miss yeah, it? Too I loud? I believe. I just heard the, I heard the crowd. I was just, I can't remember what I was doing. But I just heard the crowd. We were one and up. And I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. Here, here we go. Yeah, here they go again. Man United conceding once they're playing really well. Uh, but no, just to continue on <laughs> that, though, Ailing's goal, going into that top left corner, I think I was watching it back on TV, and there was about four, three or four United players either within five feet of him, but no one decided to close him down. And I think, you know, that does come with just a bit of rustiness, not into the full match swing of things. But that's got to be sorted sooner rather than later because you cannot be allowing, uh, you know, Ailing's not even known for these sorts of wonder strikes. You know, he pulled off a few. I think, I think, his, what was his, I think his last goal ended up actually winning um, um, the goal of the year award for Leeds in the championship on the year that they came up. So, you know, he, he's got a thunderbolt on him, but he's not a goal scorer. He's a right back at the end of the day. But you can't be giving so, a professional footballer that much time and space on the ball. You just can't be doing that. No, exactly. I think the most upsetting thing about that was I had him on the bench in my fantasy football. Um, he was on my bench seems as well. To have had, everyone seems to have had an amazing week in that. Which, if you didn't have Salah or Bruno as your captain, or even in your team, then... And I think you don't have much how, many, how many points did you end up on? <laughs> I think I'm on about 75, which I thought was impressive until I looked at the leagues yeah. and, and everyone's touching 100 and everything like uh, that. But there are some anyway. ridiculous scores. <laughs> I think I think I've only just reached the 80s, but still very good week. I'll take that to be fair, considering I left quite a few players on the bench. But anyway, back back to the real. Well, life speaking. Football. Yeah, well, to be fair, a, a person that was mentioned a lot in the fantasy football yesterday, I was sat watching with Wes Brown and he has Greenwood in his team. So every time Greenwood got the ball, he was up and he was screaming. And to be fair, what a goal that was. Yeah, excellent. What a goal that was. To outpace the defender like that. Yeah, you know, you're just watching it and he was gaining yards, gaining yards, got the ball, running in. The way he took it, left foot in across the keeper, into the corner, in front of the Stretford end. It, oh. I had goosebumps, to be fair, does, when watching them celebrate that. That it, was absolutely fantastic. does not get better than that if you're a Manchester United fan. You know, that that's to, to, to re, regain the lead against, some, against your rivals. A wonderful ball from Paul Pogba, bending round the Leeds defence, straight into Greenwood's stride. One or two long touches for Greenwood to get it out of his feet. And I th- I'm not sure who tweeted it, but some someone tweeted, a journalist tweeted it, um, either this morning or yesterday. It's not about if you watch it, he doesn't even hit it with his laces. It's not with the it's not with the instep in of his foot either. It's like literally on the edge of his big toe, really. So he's got the pace from the top of the foot, but he's also got the inside of the foot, which takes it past Melier. And that's just something you don't really see. You don't see a ball from that kind of direction going across the keeper to get that much speed on it how many times do you see so many goalkeepers just dive to their left and make that save whereas this one was just perfectly placed on the inside of the post and it goes in and that that picture of him running down 
down the side of uh, the Stretford end and knee sliding onto the corner flag is just superb. I mean, it could not be much better for Manchester United fans, could it? No, oh, I didn't know he took out the least substitute when he slid as well. I thought that was going to happen for a second. <laughs> but I know, I know the comparison gets made a lot that he's like a player like Robin Van Persie, which isn't a bad comparison to make at all. But you'd agree. He, he, the way he plays, the tight, the way he hits the ball, it's like you said, you don't see many players hitting the ball like that. Just especially clinical. on the left foot, so you would say Van Persie. But as a recent player nowadays, you'd, you'd say the only player is Harry Kane who strikes the ball like that, who's rumoured to go for a £150 million world-class striker to wherever he may go. And you've got Mason Greenwood, who's a young lad, come through the ranks. And he's just, obviously, he's another one who's impressed from the 18s to the 23s, and now he's in the first team. He's just hit the ground running as if it doesn't phase him. And, but, I, and it was. And that's what I think another. Go on, go on. Another important aspect is that in front of the fans, some players might might not be on the same wavelength as they once were last season because they're not used to it. But I think he just absolutely relished it. And scoring in front of the Stretford end, oh incredible yeah I mean there can't be much better feeling than that can there really but there was also interesting um so I was talking about him in the in press conference afterwards um and he, and he was like he was sitting, I think he said the words um who, who said I wanted him to be a starting striker like who said I wanted him to become a striker um you know maybe he has been teaching him to play out on the on the wings rather than being a striker but he's you know he's got that that versatility and and to play either down the middle or on the wings and i think in over this past year or so we've started to see him bulk up a little bit which definitely helped him um playing down the middle you know going up against premier league defenders that are so experienced uh they know how to use their body weight they know how to sugar a striker off um and and i think there was there was a Time, time about the the start of last season when he was struggling with form. There was some people were starting to ask the question: Has he been, has his game been found out? Uh, but but with 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 a left foot like that and a right foot equally as good, you can't really figure out which way he's going to go. You know, he he could have easily yesterday on Saturday he could have easily taken that ball onto his right foot and then put it in the off- opposite corner. He'd have been able to do that as well. I mean, it, it, it's undefendable. You can't you can't stop that. Nah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think a player who's that young, you can't really work his game out. Because, you know what I mean? He's going to change his game in different ways. The, the more he grows, the more he bulks up. You know what I mean? The more he trains his left, his right foot, dropping the shoulder, his agility. You can, I don't think you can really work someone's game out when they're that age. Not that you really can at any age, to be fair, because these footballers are such professional athletes now that it's difficult. You can maybe work out how a team's going to play and manage his tactics. But once a player's down, he's got the ball at his feet, he knows what he's doing. And it's difficult to defend against. Exactly right, and um, I, I know it's like there's there's only so much we can talk about with one game, but five goals is something that's not not necessarily unheard of in the first game of the season. But there's all the, you know. Some people say you, you know they're easing themselves in. The league table doesn't really start until October. You can't look at the league table till then. But five goals is some statement. Absolutely, yeah, it's a statement to the rest of the club. But, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the goals. We've got so much else. Sancho, his debut. I thought you got to think he would have brought him on in front of a full stadium, in front of Old Trafford. If he didn't, what is he thinking? But, thankfully, he did. He came on, round and applause. To be honest, the raw he got 
when he got out of his seat to come and warm up was something in itself. All the fans weren't even watching the game at this point. As soon as he got the call back, and one thing that was interesting, actually, that I don't know if many people noticed this, but he was down warming up with Martial. And you saw Kieran McKenna, like this, he was screaming, he was screaming, come back, come back. And Jaden and Anthony were stood there with each other. And was, you could see them having a discussion, saying, pointing to each other's like, is he talking to you, talking to me? And neither of them went back. And he was stood there going like this. And then he went, just went and had a word with someone. Then you saw Ollie get up, come out, and he went like this. And then you saw Jaden running back. And everyone thought, this is it. Here we go. Gets stripped off, comes on. Standing ovation. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know, what a, what a way to introduce your new star player. Um, you're already four goals to the good. You're 5-1 up on the opening day of the season. Um, Sancho will have hoped to, will have wanted to get on the score sheet. And, uh, who wouldn't? Um, but I, I was actually I was actually looking forward to um, the prospect of Martial coming back on. Um, and and making his return, if you like, because of he suffered a very very tough injury in the middle of the season last year, uh, and he's not played ninety minutes in over five months, I believe it is. Um, and looking at the fixtures, I do kind of want to talk about the fixtures that Manchester United will be uh, will be facing over the next few weeks. I think there's opportunities for Martial to make his uh, you know stake his claim that he could be com- contesting Mason Greenwood. Uh, or Edinson Cavani when he's back. I believe he uh, Cavani will be back in training uh, next week. He's been given the all clear, which is good. Um, good to see for for Manchester United and a good to see for the game. You know, Cavani's just an excellent player to watch. Um, but over these next few fixtures, Southampton away they were pretty poor against Everton this weekend. Three one loss. So uh, I think I think there's goals to be had there as well. And but the last trip to St Mary's was not an not an easy one by any means, you know. Two two nil down at half time. That took an Edinson Cavani special to uh, turn it around as well. Um, so you know, United will be hoping for something a bit different than last time out. Yeah, completely agree. I think Anthony's a player that he comes under a lot of scrutiny. He's been at the club for a long time, and some may say that he's not come into his own yet. But he's still a fan. He's a world class player, and you can't complain about having these players in your ranks in the club. But there is one person that I wanted to speak about who really impressed me yesterday, and that's Dan James. Obviously, you may not say that he's up there with the likes of Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes, but he's another one like Scott who wears his hat on his sleeve. And there was one moment in the game that had me shocked. And it was at the beginning of the game, Manchester United had a corner, and Leeds looked to counter-attack. And Daniel James just clatters one of the Leeds players. I can't remember who it was. He wins the ball and absolutely clatters them. And I thought it was Harry Maguire. And then Dan James gets up as if he's like, like this, shoulders puffed out as if he's, but what a tackle that was. I was I was shocked. And then he kept doing it all game, putting his body in there. And he, what, maybe one of the smallest players on the pitch, maybe apart from Fred. I could not believe it for a winger, for an attacker to get stuck in like that. That's what you need. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's one of the, uh, it might have been even Solskjaer who said it last season. He's the best right wing back at the club, uh, because because of the way the way he tracks back. You know, he, he's his commitment to the to every game is unbelievable. But the only the only issue is with Daniel James, and it's been said time and time again, is we saw again his lack of quality going forward and producing. I think that's his biggest issue: is producing. You know, he gets himself in these excellent areas. He can beat a man. He can get past the man on the wing. He can take the ball past you um, before you even know it's gone. 
because he's just so quick. But it's his end product. The amount of times we've seen over the past two seasons, Daniel James put in a cross and it ends up in row Z or, you know, it doesn't even beat the first man. There's so many, you know, that's something that he needs to fix. And I remember actually uh, Nanny used to have that issue. He could beat a man, but his end product wasn't quite there. And it did come for Nanny in the in the final years under under Fergie. Uh, but and he and he did finally fix his crossing ability and his finishing ability. Um, so whether that happens to Daniel James, you know, time will tell. But it's something that will be very interesting to keep your eye on because he's he's got the quality to do it. It's just whether he can finalize. Uh, what 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 happens in that final third? But yeah, but like you said, his commitment has always been there. Well, before we move on to the next segment, I just wanted to quickly touch on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I was fortunate enough, I found myself in position of holding the boom mics for the interview for Bruno, for Mason, and for Oli. And Oli was just so calm. He was so relaxed. And as if it was just another day at the office, it was just another yeah, pick up the win. It was an impressive performance, but he wasn't too phased by it. He said, this is what I expect from my players. He said, he always talks about building, building the philosophy, building something good again. And he, I, was, I was shocked by how relaxed he was, whether or not it's because he had to do about five different interviews before he got to MUTV. But he was just so relaxed about the whole situation. It was incredible. Yeah, and I think it is his uh, his mentality plays on to his players a bit. You know, they won't get too carried away from from this result, and rightly so. You know, it is a long, long season. Um, but Solskjaer said it himself. You know, you don't win a trophy in September, but you sure can lose it in September. And that's what happened last season, if you remember that. You know, United lost their opening three out out of six games. Uh, in the Premier League last season, and they ultimately lost the league by uh, 12 points. So that that would have taken it right down to the wire last year if they were to to have started better. So this season they've definitely started on the front foot, three points, um, and and Manchester City have also just lost as as we're recording this. So he'll he'll be looking at that. And but Manchester City had terrible form. Um, to start the season last year as well and then they went on an unbeaten run 22 wins in a row but you know let's stick to the red side of Manchester at the minute absolutely well moving away from the first team the women's they played Aston Villa in a pre-season friendly yesterday and they won 2-0 in that one and the under 23s kicked off their Premier League 2 campaign against Leicester in a 2-all draw which Leicester are a very tough team to play in the PL2 they played them last year on the opening game of the season and they're just a big experienced side and today same again they went 2-0 up and people were sort of thinking and they missed a penalty in the opening 10 minutes Mate Kurva was absolutely fantastic in the whole game he saved the penalty and I'll tell you what there was I'm pretty sure the attendance was 1,500 and they erupted when he made that penalty save it was absolutely incredible but then Damani Mella he was back from his injuries of last season he got on the score sheet and then no other but Charlie McNeil came off the bench he scored, and he also had the chance to wrap up all three points, but he missed the target by, what, a matter of inches, I'm pretty sure. And again, Neil Wood was absolutely delighted that they came away from a point with that one because Leicester City were a fairly good team, and the 23s have got players missing them as well. There was no Hannibal, there was no Alanga. Obviously, Scholder did feature in that game, but it's a young, sky, it's a young side as well. There's a lot of the under-18s coming through, and he touched on that, but also... Hull City legend Paul McShane is being drafted in and he's obviously playing. He joined the under-23s as a defensive coach. But I think what they plan to do is have him feature in the defence. He was next to Bjorn Hardley 
who's just come up from the under-18s. And he was so vocal into every player on the pitch, whether it was Amari Forsen at the top, Charlie Wellins to his right. He was telling him where to be, what to do, when to come for the ball, when to trap back. And I thought that was pretty incredible. He's, what, 35? And he's come to, to pass on his experience to these young players. Yeah, I need to get myself down to Lee Sports Village, to be fair. Um, you know, I, I was there a few times last season to watch the women's um, and the under-23s. was a little bit more hidden and kept away with, with no fans, etc., um, and, and you know their, their media was severely limited but I do need to get myself down there you know you always say how, how good it is to, to go and watch them and watch these young stars up and coming um, and, and then you get to see them you get to I, I like the fact that you, you get to compare them when they make their debuts for the first team you know them already you know what types of players they are you know that Elanga's incredibly quick and he's lightning fast off the off the off the start. But yeah, I do need to get myself down there to be fair and do a bit of, do a bit of scouting to see who where who Solskjaer could be potentially moving up soon. Exactly. But from what I can see and from what I read all the time, it, it's McNeil. He's the next star. Six hundred academy goals or something like that. I mean, over six hundred signed from Manchester City for one million pounds. Um, you know, he he's he, just that story alone is good enough to make uh, Manchester United fans want to want to see him do well. Absolutely, and it's free. So if you fancy a free game of football to watch the youngsters, then get yourselves down to Lee Sports Village. But I think the best thing about that is that you get, to, especially under twenty three football, you get to see the personalities of the players. And I think that's one thing for a lot of fans, especially in the first team. You see these first team players and almost think that they're robots in a sense, that they're built to play football and nothing else. They're not allowed to do anything else. If they're not scoring goals, then why aren't they scoring goals? It's not always about that rather than thinking about them. But after the game, I spoke to Matt Aikova and he's such a gentleman. He, he outstands me. Every time I interview him, he just shocks me even more and more by just how much of a nice guy he is. And just by wishing you a nice day and things like that. These young players, you wouldn't, act, you wouldn't expect that too much of them, maybe of the older ones and things like that. But it's, And to see what kind of head they've got on their shoulders is, is very important moving forward to the future. Yeah, it's the United way. That's what the, uh, that's what the film will teach you anyway. Um, which, is, which is a great, great <laughs> exactly. film, by the way. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. I think the opening feature of that, you can see my flat, which is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Where it pans, whether or not this is, I'm pretty sure it is the United way. It pans over sort of the Salford Keys, and then you can see, yeah, which unfortunately I'm not stood out on the balcony. Yeah, you must have missed that day. Keep your blinds, <laughs> keep your blinds closed when they're filming, hey. Well, I think it's time for the questions. It's nice to have people getting involved, and thank you very much for tweeting your questions to Brad, and we can get started with them if you like. Yeah, so let's first get into off, it. We've got from Johnny. A defensive midfielder away from domination. Now, this is um, a very interesting one because we did touch on it kind of earlier with Fred McTominay, but I'm, and last week, to be fair, mentioning Goretzka and the likes of that, but I'm interested to see what you have to say about this. Yeah, I think, you know, the word domination is um, a very strong word for, for one more signing. Um, you know, because the, the, that question hints at one more signing away from domination, and in my opinion, domination means winning the double, winning the treble, um, or the quadruple, which seems to be talked about all the time. Although it's never happened, which is a odd, odd topic that seems to come up all the time. But you know, um, domination, um, defensive midfielder away from domination. I wouldn't say so. I would say 
the likes of Manchester City are a striker slash left back away from domination. I don't think Manchester United are quite up to that task yet. A defensive midfielder would uh, definitely, I think, boost their hopes of Champions League success. Uh, and and um, it would it would prove vital in the later stages of competitions when sweeping up that ball, doing the Kante, the N'Golo Kante role. You see how important he is in Chelsea's man, massive games. You know, um, we saw it in the Champions League time after time last year. We saw it in his in the Leicester City um, year of just unbelievable results. And and Kante was you know I, I said it a couple couple minutes ago. It's the it's the role that goes missing, but it, it's so pivotal in preventing attacks and then starting them. Um, but a, a defensive midfielder away from domination, not quite yet. Um, I, I don't think I don't think that's a, a fair assessment. I think United are still quite far away from domination. Well, you see, that's where so I'm an optimistic person, and that's where I do quite obviously domination is a strong word, and it is a very strong word, but. Oh, I just get this feeling that maybe not even a defensive midfielder away, but obviously let's not get carried away. It's early in the season, but give it a few games, maybe sign a defensive midfielder in January. And just if we're in a position where we're still in everything in January and with a quadruples on, then who knows? Who knows? But who would you take in that position? Because obviously a defensive midfielder has changed. That role has changed. You speak about, you used to think a defensive midfielder is like, you picture someone like Matic. He's big. He's strong, he's good on the ball, but he's more defensive than he is anything else. Whereas nowadays, you look at Kante, he's probably the best at that in the world. And he's small, he's yeah, quick, he's tiny. nimble. He's almost, you have the ball next to me, you don't even see him, but he's off with the ball. He's gone with it. That's how quick, and that's, the role's changed so much that it almost makes you think that what would be best suited to this Manchester United team? Would it be a midfielder like Fred? Maybe a bit, but like you look at Modric, I know he's getting on a little bit, but he's a similar player in that position. Or do you look at someone who, like we had Schweinsteiger, he's he's a good person to have in that position. There's so many different, it's, it's not just a defensive midfielder role anymore, is it? It's so much more than just that. But yeah. that, is, that is a good question. It certainly is. Or is the answer already sitting on their bench? Donny van der Beek. Well, exactly. Who knows? Exactly. Who, who knows? knows? <laughs> Well, on to the next. So, Ashley has said that consistency is an issue from last season, saying that we can thrash one team and play poor and lose the next. But can we ex- can we expect better consistency this season? I, I want to go first in this one and say yes because of the players that we've signed and the depth that we spoke about on last week's podcast. I would like to think that, yes, consistency obviously is key and that's what everyone looks for in a football club. But I can see that happening. And you, you, he's compared, he said, City and Chelsea may be better than us in that aspect, which is a good point, and I think at certain times. But I also think that it's important to win certain batches of games within a season. Obviously, Christmas is a major one. You mentioned the start of the season is another major one. And I, I think you said when you mentioned Man City that had not the best start last year and went on a 22 win winning streak. But that was still... I know it didn't end that close, but for times you thought that, yeah, a title race might be on here. But if you can win the games where other teams drop points, then that consistency sort of links up without you realising it. It doesn't have to be www, but if you can go 10, 15 games without without losing, 
then that consistency sort of builds on itself. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you've spoken everything um, true to true to it there. Um, I think, you know, consistency can build on itself. Can it happen this year for Manchester United? Is Have they got enough depth in the areas that they require consistency? Uh, you know, centre-back, they now have they now have depth and that will prove to, to see more consistent results I think they need a, another right back to contest Aaron Wan-Bissaka to prove consistency because there was times last season where his form would go on and off not just going forward but also defensively uh, most famously I think was that RB Leipzig performance of last year when they were knocked out in the Champions League you know that was a very shoddy performance by Wan-Bissaka that year that um, that night um, but I think I think consistency they will have more of it this season. It's just whether everyone can stay fit. Um, you know that's what that I mean. That's the key to every every consistent side is is having an injury free season really. Um, and, and you know United have been lucky lucky with injuries. Touch wood so far for Manchester United. They've been they've been okay on the injury front. You know especially when you look at Liverpool's injury luck last year. That was just horrendous to see. Uh, but yeah, I do. I would expect United to show more consistent results, um, and and not not get stuck on the on the on the side of things where um, the creativity la- is is lacking because they've got those options now, uh, and they're not just relying on Bruno Fernandes. They've got others up top to create, uh, and I think Sancho will be a big big help to that. Absolutely, I agree. Um, so moving on to the next one this one struck my eye I did see this one on Twitter and it did get me thinking a little bit and I think you kind of touched on this one as well but Jacob said do we need to play 4-3-3 with one holding midfielder given how well Scott and Fred play together yeah uh, yeah, we, we, we did really discuss this didn't we um, but I, I do think at the minute this Manchester United side is so comfortable with the 4-2-3-1 because of how quickly it can shape up in a 4-2-4 um, and you know the, the 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 opportunity to adapt to a four two three one when Fernandez does need to drop back or when you want to go and go after the game to change it into a four two four is just very inter interlinks quite nicely. Um, but a four three three, I don't think Fernandez would be as as uh, as critical to United's attack. Uh, and I think we actually saw a glimpse of what Fernandez would look like in a four three three when he was playing for Portugal. He didn't look anywhere near like the United uh, Bruno Fernandes that everyone knows. And I think that was partly down to where he was playing. He was playing on the right of a, of a midfield three. And I just don't don't see it working at the minute. Uh, it was rumoured to happen. It didn't happen. Uh, and I don't think there will be too many changes this this season to the formation. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the word adapt. Football's all about you've got to be in one shape when you're attacking, but you've got to be in a better shape when you're defending and winning the ball back. But it got me thinking earlier on, before you mentioned Pogba playing on the left, I was trying to work out where you'd fit all the players in if he did play 4-3-3 and obviously kept Scott and Fred in that midfield together. Then you struggle to get the likes of Pogba, Fernandes, as well as your attacking trio as well. Yeah. And you've got Donny. There's there's a lot of players. And as well, I think, if it's working, why change it? Yeah. Until it maybe doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Um, if it keeps going, yeah, then who knows for the future. So, Matt is the next question. He said, which three strikers should be on the shortlist for United next summer? Three strikers. Um, Haaland speaks for itself. Uh, realistic targets, Haaland. Um, unrealistic, Mbappe. 
Uh, I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't everyone want Mbappe in the, in their squad? Um, but I, I, I think just just talking about Haaland, I do think United have received a little bit of a transfer boost in a way because there's not many teams out there who, if if Man if Manchester City get Harry Kane, there's not any other team that would suit Haaland if that sounds right than Manchester United because Chelsea have got their man Lukaku. Real Madrid are putting all their eggs in one basket in Mbappe. PSG now have Messi. If Mbappe was to go, maybe they could go for Haaland. But they, you know, they've taken quite the financial hit by signing Messi for two years. Um, Arsenal don't have the funds for that. Liverpool won't put the funds in for that sort of signing. And he's already said multiple times he doesn't want to go to Bayern Munich, even though Bayern Munich's uh, director of football has come out and said how many times they want to sign him. I think there's no other place for him than Manchester United. Um, but it's just whether that can can actually happen. And three strikers who are realistic signings. I think Marco Marco Silva for AC Milan has been superb. Um, but have have they have Manchester United already got that sort of player, a small, nifty, quick striker in Martial and Greenwood? They might already have that sort of player. What they don't have is 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 what they'd already let go in Lukaku being able to hold up the ball, playing it out wide. Um, I'm not saying it was a wrong decision to get rid of Lukaku because I think the way United play now doesn't suit his game whereas Haaland is kind of the better of both is a, a mix of both Lukaku and Haaland because of how quick he is as well as being strong so I think I think, I think it's a no-brainer it's got to be Haaland they've got to go all out for him next year No, it's interesting that you said Haaland is a realistic signing which obviously he is I, I completely agree with you but that sentence in itself is it makes me laugh because he's a world-class player and because he's a realistic signing with the team that they're building now. He's incredible. And obviously, I was having this chat to the boys in the studio yesterday, actually. We were talking about where Mbappe will go next. And I feel like Spain, Italy, they're no longer the leagues that can attract these big players. Spain especially because Real Madrid and Barca ruled for a lot of years. If you're a world-class player, you'd either be being unveiled as a Real Madrid player or a Barcelona player. There wasn't much option other than obviously the Premier League would take them. But now, I think Premier League's, well, it's always been the best league in the world, don't get me wrong, but now there's no one else really contending with it. And I think Mbappe, yeah, I understand that he probably will go to Real Madrid, whereas I could see him maybe at the likes of Liverpool and things like that, maybe in the future. But in terms of three strikers for Manchester United, I wouldn't even say there is three. I think Haaland's got to be got to be the one if if they are going to pursue one in the future. Because obviously we're in no shortage of attackers at the moment, are we? Signing Sancho, we've got Edison, we've got Martial, we've got Greenwood, Alanga, Marcus. So yeah, interesting. See what next summer says. But how long has Edison got left? Is he is he got another year after this one, or is this his last one? Maybe negotiation for another one. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna actually talk about that just for just very very quickly because I know we're coming to an end. Uh, but Cavani, you know, he has got that one year extension. Uh, but you've got to feel like the signing of Cavani is not necessarily, you know, Cavani is his own player. He is proving his worth every time he steps onto that pitch for Manchester United. But you've got to feel he is a stepping stone to the striker Manchester United want. Um, whether they are just saving up the money, whether they are waiting for the right time. And that right time might come next summer with Haaland's release clause being activated. 
essentially. I think I think it's around the 70 to 80 million mark he can leave Borussia Dortmund next year for, which would be a steal. You know, he's going to have six or seven clubs come in after him, but it's the agent fees that are going to cost so much, and whether United is saving up for that, um, I, I, I don't know. But they'll they'll go for him next season. They have to go for him. Two questions left, and Wills said this about Greenwoods and Cavani, which we've kind of talked about in the different positions, whether Greenwoods are versatile forward and things like that. But he does mention De Gea or Henderson. And after De Gea's performance yesterday, he's not done much wrong to be taken out of the team, has he? No, certainly hasn't. And it happened It happened vice versa last year when uh, when De Gea went, uh, went away for his birth of his child and Henderson came in and had some just had some great performances, um, and De Gea ended up starting in the Europa League final. So I think it, you know I don't even think Solskjaer knows which one he wants to start if if they were both fit. You know, unfortunately Henderson is still recovering from the effects of COVID nineteen, which is a it sounds really bad. You know, it's been over a month now. Well, I think just just under a month. Sorry, um, he's he's actually since he had the virus, so that's not good. Not not a good sign at all because we know how much it can affect people in the long term. Because you know it's called long COVID. Is it something like that? Um, and, and that's that's seeming to really affect him. And he, he's not there at the minute. But you know Tom Heaton as, as well on, on the bench. He, he's more than a capable goalkeeper. Uh, but for me, at the minute, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would prefer to have Dean Henderson in between in between the uh, the two goalposts because of his age. I think we discussed this on the last episode. Because of his age, you want to keep him happy, don't you? You don't want to you don't want to upset your young up and coming talent in a goalkeeper that you could have for ten fifteen. Well, Will, that answered your question. And to finish on a bit of a pessimistic question, so this is probably perfect to you, to be fair. But if Ollie doesn't win a major trophy. By the end of the season, should he leave slash be sacked, says Reese. And I want to just quickly start by saying absolutely not. Yes. I mean, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you as well. I don't think he should be sacked. But, but sacked for, with no trophy? I mean, I don't think it could happen. But who knows? You know, with, this is Manchester United who sacked Louis van Gaal the day after winning the FA Cup. So crazier things have happened. Um, but I, I don't see it happening to Solskjaer. I think the club and the board understand this project Solskjaer's talking about. He signed a three-year deal. I think they know he's the man going forward and they're ready to put all of their eggs in only going to Solskjaer's basket. You see, that is interesting because Reister said, should he leave Bissatz, which I disagreed with that he should, but whether or not he will is a different question, like you just said there. But yeah, that I say that's a good question to finish it is with really. So I hope you enjoyed the second episode of Your Manchester United Fix. Get involved, tweet us at Your Man United Fix. Listen to us on Spotify. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll be back this time next week with episode three.